On this episode, John and I, we, you know, we we get into some winter golf seasonality stuff, which means that we don't even talk about golf for probably about the first 10, 15 minutes of the show. We talk a lot about uh, what's going on in general sports that we're interested in, uh, basketball, things like that. Um, hopefully, you guys enjoy us kind of departing from just driving or diving right into golf. We do talk about this upcoming um, President's Cup, as well as the debauchery of cheating um, that uh, that happened with Patrick Reed. Um, but it, at the same time, we don't really like dwell on it. He, the dude freaking cheated. And then lastly, uh, we're really excited. We we tried a winter blend reposado from Fortaleza, and uh, really excited to talk to you guys about that. So let's get into the show. Hope you enjoy it. I've got this one about two balls out to the right. I'm telling you, man, it's a speed putt. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of season two of the Faded Golf Podcast. I'm Mark Julien, as always here with Mr. John Falkenberg. How you doing, sir? Uh, lovely. Um, it is a beautiful December day. Uh, it was cold, actually. High of 23? Yeah. It was balmy. Uh, it was at least kind of sunny out, but it was windy and awful. Not golf weather. Uh, did you play Sunday? No. Okay. I know there were a few guys that, that got out. It was in the 50s, I believe. Um, some decent weather. I think Johnny Hot told me that he shot 76. Nice. I'm like, great. Time to not be able to post the score. Yeah, good. Go low now. Yeah. Get yourself all ready for the beginning of the season, win some good handicap events. That's solid. So go get it, Johnny. Do your thing. <laughs> I went up to uh, a college basketball venue. Yeah. Mackey Arena on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Who'd they play Sunday? Northwestern. Okay. Oh, yeah. First, first Big Ten. First Big Ten. Went yeah. to a little Virginia this past week and uh, Northwestern. Went to both games. Awesome. It was a good time. I was able to get down to Bloomington. Did you go? To the uh, Florida State game last Tuesday, which oh, was fun. Yeah, it was good. They won. They won. And Florida um, State was Florida State been playing well. Yep, they turned the ball over a ton. I think our defense was smothering. And then on the complete flip side, we couldn't guard. We couldn't have guarded probably a junior high team on Saturday. Uh, if, if Wisconsin was a junior high team, I'm not sure we could have guarded them because we were they had wide open looks the whole first half. It was crazy. So yeah, I wasn't uh, expecting was, that big of a loss, or even a loss. I mean, Wisconsin's not that solid. Well, what ended up happening? Like, it's funny. I was talking to Michael about this earlier too. And I, the funny thing about basketball is that you can get into runs and some streaks where, and this happens to any good team. It happens in the NBA a ton where you're just missing shots, and and then and another team could get hot, and you get into that perfect storm where like nothing's going down for you and everything's going down for the other team. Next thing you know, you're down 10, you know, or you're down 12 and you're like, Oh shit, what just happened there? And, um, maybe you like stall a run for a little while, but then another one of those runs hits and it's like, okay, this is, or you have a few turnovers and you start making some mistakes because you're pressing, trying to get back into the game and it, and stuff just compounds itself. Not because, it's not a good team. Like I, the NBA has fantastic basketball players, right? But you see these crazy runs and it's just, I think it's just part of the game. It's why games usually are pretty close. <laughs> Most games end up being within 10 points of each other. And 
most games always end up, the score ends up being in a similar margin, you know? Um, basketball is, there's there's little margins that end up winning games most of the time. So. Yeah, I, so I w- I've been to three games this year that uh, up at Purdue. Texas, when Purdue played Texas, when they played Virginia, and then um, Northwestern, all three games different. Two were kind of similar, where Purdue just couldn't, could not hit shots, yeah. and they played good defense against Northwestern. They did not do that against Texas, and they lost against Texas. Yep. Then they beat Virginia, and they knew they couldn't miss. Yep. That game, I mean, Virginia came in ranked fifth, and Purdue unranked, and they just they blew them out. Dude, they blew them out. Yeah. I mean, Virginia couldn't even score. They didn't score forty points, or they scored forty, and I think Purdue was like sixty-five. I yeah. mean, they blew them out of the gym. Yep. And then Northwestern, Purdue couldn't hit a lot of shots. But like you said, it just, you know, things kind of you – know, actually, what compensates for not hitting shots is hard defense. Absolutely. That's it. It's if you the, can, It's the difference. It's the difference. Yep. So if you can not – if you're not hitting shots, you, your defense better be on. Otherwise, you have no chance. I agree. And I think we, what you see is – two things like there's some great athletic talent that creates turnovers and some stuff like that. I think we see that with a lot of these teams with it have a bunch of freshmen and stuff like that that come in your Kentuckys and your Dukes and your Kansases and stuff like that. Um, but uh, those coaches just preach defense because they know it also creates offense because these guys then run and fast breaks and because um, you there's only so many teams that are execute a half court offense like really well all the time. <laughs> Um, these guys are so big now. Now, is that you've had some good seats? Um, third, we're third row, right behind the visitor bench. And how big are these kids now? They don't oh, look 18, 19 years old. God, like Virginia, they had three guys over seven foot. Yeah, I mean, you look at it like, and they don't look. No, they do not look like they're. They don't look years like old. they're nineteen years no. old. They easily look like they're like twenty-two, and you're like, that is a nineteen-year-old kid. What? Matt Harms looks like a freak. Like how oh, how he's, tall he's enormous. He well, he's not he's not thick. No, he's definitely not he's thick. Just, he's just tall. And he's but he's, and he's like long. He's long, but he's also like he can move for being seven foot for three. Being that big. That, I mean that. So that I was watching. I think I was flipping through Instagram or something, and they showed some kid that's like the number one prospect coming out of high school, and he's like a seven footer that literally runs the court like LeBron. And you're like. How does a seven four footer run the court like LeBron? Like dribble, moves, every like I'm like, what in the hell is going on? They're just they're they're coaching them differently though. I don't know if I I went to a uh, well, it's actually when, when I was coaching hockey last year, they had like all you know coaches meeting preseason or whatever, and they showed this um, video uh, about how they're coaching kids in basketball now. And what they're trying to do is regardless of their size, it used to be that when you were like the big kid, they'd like post you up and be like, all right, well, you're big now at 10 years old, 11 years old. You need to learn good post moves. And so we're going to put you down low. And the way they coach these kids now is that everybody plays every position regardless of size because they don't know when they're going to stop growing. And, you know, you stop growing at six three, six, four, or something like that, especially for a basketball player. Like, guess what? You better be a freaking guard. Yep. But you – so because they're doing that, what it's doing is it's making these kids that were even big as younger kids, it gives them handles because they're learning how to dribble better, handle the ball, like run point guard, shoot three-pointers, all that kind of stuff. Whereas 
back in the day, 10, 20 years ago, they were, I shouldn't even say 10, probably 20, 30 years ago, they'd already pigeonhole these kids into roles. And uh, so exception, it, it, rare, you know, there's a couple exceptions, but generally that's right. You had like the guys that were tall that played down low. I mean, so exception s- would be like Magic Johnson. Yeah. That'd be about it. Yeah. But everybody else, short. Yep. I mean, so I we're, we're going to see more kids that are 6'8", six, 6'9", six, six, 6'10". Play guard. That could totally run the court, play guard dude, if they dude, wanted to. Dude, produce point guard 6'6", six, 6'7"? Six, six, Easy. He's no gel, and he's, he's super tall and athletic and can rebound. And I mean, that's what it's going to come down to. Like, everybody on the court is going to be 6'6", six, six and above. 6'5". Six, Yep, and I mean, I mean, there's guys that are six three can play six four. If as long as they're quick enough, for yeah. sure, because they're speed, can shoot. Speed and shooting can make up for Anything. size. Yeah, I mean, you saw it with Carson last year. <laughs> What's that do? Six feet, maybe, maybe that's maybe, put, maybe with some lift kits in. He yeah, his <laughs> the thing that he had that was his reach though. It's like he had like so he was like five eleven. I bet you he's five eleven, but his. Arms were like as long as a guy was like six three or six four, mm. so he his like, I mean that makes a difference when you're that fast. You can reach and you can go up and shoot and that guy. This dude, this play. is the best time of year for me for for sports for non golf. Oh yeah, I love because basketball. you've got uh, the looming playoffs in football or college football wrapping up bowl season. You got basketball running, pro and college basketball running. You got basically everything kind of colliding um, here in like this this kind of early winter. Uh, hockey's even kind of going in the background. I don't have to watch and deal with baseball, which you know, and then I don't have to be uh, like soaked into some type of like anticipating some important golf tournament coming up. Like this week, there's really no big tournament at all. So Presidents Cup. Oh yeah, President's Cup. It's this week. <laughs> I knew I knew it was. That's why I was saying that. We're gonna talk a little bit about that here in a minute. But um it's not really big. But it's not that big of a deal. It's bigger it's a bigger deal now because of Patrick Reed, and we'll get into that too. But it's um, a bigger deal. It's it's a big deal if the United States loses. That's a big deal. I, I, is it? Yeah. Because they've 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 never lost. Twenty one years. <coughs> Who was on that team? I have no on idea. The, um, I wanted to know who was on the who was on the winning team. Yeah, we'll have to Google that here in a minute. But um, Retief, twenty-one years ago, Retief. God, Goose? it had to be like Nick Price, and uh, Retief was was even Ernie. I bet you Ernie Goose. Ellis. Right, we're gonna look this up right now. We're gonna look it up. All right, so getting into golf. So hey, bat, beyond that, our Colts suck. Uh, we were just talking about how uh, we loved the the fans of the Patriots. Um, totally booed him off the field uh, on Sunday because they lost their third game of the season. I think it's fantastic that they, they have the damn Boston fans have to cry a little bit because they lost. They lost a game at home that they haven't lost forever. Oh my god, terrible! Freaking babies. Go go go! Be a Jets fan for like a week. Those guys, <laughs> well, or a Bengals we, fan for like a we, year. We like pro- we, you know, we don't need to like. I think we probably don't need to explain this to everybody. Anybody that listens to this podcast probably understands sports in the regard that Boston, New England fans in general, they it just they're not, not even spoiled. 
It's just, it's kind of beyond that. It's like, they don't, like you said, off air, they don't know how to lose. No. And when they do, and their team makes it to a championship game or something, or or they lose one or two games, and they get booed. Doesn't it's a joke. Sense. The worst thing I've ever heard, or that, or actually I saw, I saw a text of it, was a billboard in Boston, or it was, yeah, it was in Boston, that said... <laughs> 56 days since our last championship. <laughs> it's oh, been too long. Dude. That's the kind cuz that was dude, the year somebody that was the year the, for that kind of stuff. Th- that was the year the Bruins won uh Red Sox and the Patriots like all in the same year. I think it was. I think they won all in the same year. What are you looking at? Uh it looked like it was um 1998. Is there like a team? 1998 President's Cup team. There was a tie. There was a tie in 2003. And yeah, 98 was the last in the international team. Peter Thompson was the. Peter Thompson was the international captain. Let's see what else we got here. Who else on the team? Oh my God, they freaking dominated too, by the way. They won 20 and a half to 11 and a half. There we go, teams. So we had uh, Ernie Els. Nick Price, VJ Singh, Greg Norman, Steve Elkington, Stuart Appleby, Carlos Franco, Shingeki Mariyama, Craig Perry, and no- Nomichi Joe Ozaki. Well, the first guys you said there, those are... In- oh, and Frank Nabolo and Greg Turner, which I don't know why they're in yellow, but... Probably. Though they were the captain's picks, that's why. So they were studs. I mean, that was, I mean, you get Greg Norman, Ernie Els, they were two best players in the world at the time. VJ, Nick, Nick Price. Price. Yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah, no, they were stacked. Yeah, that's, that's. Absolutely stacked. Now, by the way, they played David Duvall, Tiger Woods, Jim Furyk, Justin Leonard, Phil Mickelson, Davis Love III, Mark O'Meara, Scott Hoke, Mark Alcavecchia, Fred Couples, John Houston, and Lee Jansen. So no slouches. No slouches, but no, like, no team. That like was it when is David. That was when David Duvall, by the way, was number one in the world. Yeah, that was rookie year of Tiger Woods, right? Pretty much, he was the number two guy that made the squad. So you're talking about no slouch teams, but um, it's been a while. And yeah, and but you compare that team, that America to current team. <laughs> well, you compare that international team to the current international team, and it's like. Sorry. Jason Day and Adam Scott. And who uh, else? Louie. Uh, what's the kid? Cam. Whatever his name is. I mean, oh. South Africans on there? Hold on. Yeah, Ernie Els was. President's Cup. It, it, you know, look. But it's back to our point. We've already put like already too much time into <laughs> the President's Cup I talk. Mean, I'll watch it. I'll watch some of it, maybe if I don't have anything else going on. But um, I'm not that excited about it. Yeah, the Americans won the Junior President's Cup, by the way. Uh, I'm, um, I'm so not that excited about it at I all. I mean, we've got Dustin Johnson. He's pretty good. He was um, hurt. He was hurt. Yeah, that's why he didn't play in the Hero. Um, we've got uh, Justin Thomas. He's pretty good. What? By the way, 
What do you think of the the hero challenge? The golf tournament. Here's the thing. I love I love that they've got a cool, Tiger's got a cool tournament in the Bahamas. I think what's ridiculous is that it counts as an official tour event. It does. I didn't think they it get did. points for it. Oh, they it get is. like I don't know if it's FedEx points, but they get world ranking points for it. Oh, they don't get FedEx. I don't think it's PGA no, Tour event. But they get wor- it, it counts towards some world ranking crap. And and Stenson won a million bucks for playing twenty one dudes. Yeah. I, How I many mean, were there? Twenty one or forty? Uh, I think forty. I don't know if it was forty, but whatever. It it wasn't. But it he, wasn't a full field. But somehow I think it's, it was very minimal. But maybe I, thirty. It, it is cool. It's like a little getaway for you know Tiger's group of guys. But it, isn't it kind of like the epitome of showing like elitist golf? Oh yeah. It's at it's at Albany. Is it Albany Bahamas? It's like yeah. this unbelievable ultra elite island that that's why nobody's there. Oh yeah, there's nothing there. Well, and, but you can't afford it. Nope. There's not really and hotels there. There. Yeah, there isn't a hotel. You have to own a place, or you have to know somebody who knows somebody, right? I mean, that's... And they're like, yeah, they show pictures like, oh, how, how great is it staying here? Oh, look at the $30 million yacht in front of the house. How can you guys relate to that? No. No, it's, it's fantasy land. It's not. It's absolutely fantasy land, which is fine. I'm not whatever. Yeah, I don't. I'd, um, I'd go. I mean, if I could, we would. I would hundred percent go. It'd be fun. The kind of interaction you would yeah. get with the with the guys. Absolutely. And they seem like they're super laid back there. Um, I I love going to the Bahamas. Um, I think that uh, it's a the people of the Bahamas are really they are casual. They're Americanized, um, but they they know that tourism is like a huge um, you know piece to what they do. So I don't know, dude. There are only Time out. There are 18 freaking dudes that played in this event. Bullshit. No, there was more than that. No, 18. Oh, my God. And he won a million dollars for beating 17 other players. It's crazy. It was a $3.5 million purse. And he won a million of it. And everybody got at least like a hundred grand. Now I th- I believe a lot of them donate their winnings from this one. By the way, <sighs> so to what? Well, Finau actually uh, donated his to that to the hurricane relief fund that because you know that blew through there last earlier this year or whatever it was. So and blew away one of the islands in the Bahamas. So did you see the controversy with Patrick Reed? There's controversy. <laughs> You didn't see what happened? No, what, what happened? So tell me, tell me all about it. I, I've nobody's covered this. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> Did you not witness it? Seriously? Fuck yeah, okay. I saw this. Do you Jesus. think he? Do you think he cheated? So to me. To, okay. to me, to me, it, it, you can't be that st- ridiculous. But I mean, he has a camera right behind he him. He did it twice. I know he did it before. He did it twice. I don't. No, wh- not not only did he pull the sand back once, he put his club back again and acted like he was taking a second practice swing and dragging sand. So I, 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 I watched was, it live. 
I watched that part live, and I was like, I was like, what is he doing? And then I couldn't. So when you watch it live, you couldn't see the sand moving. Sure, because they they weren't zoomed in, right? Yeah. So you couldn't. Yeah. So I didn't think. It, I really, I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. But then they showed it when it zoomed in. It was like, is there's a shovel? <laughs> It was, it, was, like, it was terrible. It was. He says that he claims that he didn't think he was moving sand. Fuck that. Dude, there is no way. And I and there's enough articles and there's enough tour talk or the, I think even like articles in uh, um, Golf Digest or whatever um, with, yeah, baby, um, Texas Tech's about to take down Louisville. Sorry, and we that's like the, that. Yeah, we we like we like underdogs winning. Um, anyway, so there's enough uh, evidence in those. There's like that undercover um, tour pro, like Golf Digest articles and stuff, where there are plenty of people that they don't call out their peers, but they bend some rules. I'll give you one example that I believe I read, and I think Phil Mickelson has even said, or maybe somebody's even called out Phil Mickelson on this. I can't remember. I'm going to have to get my facts straight. But um, it's, as it relates to marking the golf ball and replacing the golf ball on a green, there are players that are extremely liberal oh, yeah. in how accurate they are in replacing the golf ball. And you, I've, seen, I've seen it at our club. Oh, yeah. I've seen it with plenty of people where they three they inches shove, closer. They shove that coin like almost as far under that ball as they possibly can. And then when they replace the ball, they replace it like a half an inch or like not obviously like right on top of the freaking coin again. But they give themselves that half an inch or they give themselves that maybe even a full inch, you know, as if like nobody noticed the way that they marked the ball and reset their ball wasn't different. And I guess that happens on the tour all the time. And nobody calls each other on it. And I would, I would say probably somewhere where if you're within, uh, you know, probably three, four feet of the hole, that might make a difference. Why, but, why, like, why? who gives a but, fuck? But, but why do they not just keep the rule? Like, they've got so many stupid rules in the game. They're trying to get better at it. But, you know, originally, like, for the longest time, you didn't. Stymied. It was on the green. That's where the ball stayed. Yeah. It was where you it was at. You didn't mark your ball. Exactly. But why? Why is that different? So why is that any different? So if there's a piece of dirt on it, then if it's in the fairway or if it's on the green? Well, one of the reasons that rule was, is more for uh, it not being in the line of somebody else. So It's part of it. You know, that was the stymie, right? You're stymie. Play a little defense. You got to play around it. Yeah, play a little defense. And I'm sure there was probably some golf etiquette that where you were like, you would, if you would finish out. If you, like, if you had the first putt, you would hit it, and then you would finish out. You would never probably leave yourself. Uh, you because you couldn't mark it. You wouldn't leave a what three if it was foot match ball. play. What if it was match play? I I don't know how that would work. I will have to get into the history of stymies. De- think about it. That'd be some defense and golf. <laughs> yep, you're away. <laughs> Sorry about your luck. <laughs> Sorry. And if you hit my ball, yeah. Actually, though, if you hit that other person's ball, they have to replace it. They replace it, but yours goes wherever, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, a back to uh, breaking rules and stuff like that. Um, I, I, I think there's plenty of guys out there that bend some rules. I think there's plenty of people that move some objects that maybe they shouldn't have. I mean, we saw there was the Matt Kuchar bumper, bunker episode that happened earlier this year, too, where he literally was picking out what he called, you know, pebbles. But it was he was literally pinching up grains of sand trying to create 
a better lie for himself. Um, it's just one of these, I'm like, at some point, do these, are these guys going to get penalized at all? Like truly penalized? Cause what's the value? Here's my thing. What's the value of keeping a Patrick Reed on a Matt Kuchar, even on the tour? They, they actually add no additional value to that tour. Zero. They're, they're making money. But they aren't themselves, and they're getting they're getting their endorsements. But what it, like are they building the fan base of that tour? They happen to be good golfers that practice a ton and made their way on tour, and they happen to have a skill set that and probably a mindset that most will never compete with because they're freaking professional golfers. But for them to blatantly try to bend and break the rules in front of watching fans and like that's why slippery did, that's slippery slope though i mean you can have dirty players and in, in basketball that ch- try to cheat and do stuff i mean yeah. take a guy like john stockton that guy remember him the guard for utah jazz dirty freaking player just every freaking thing he could get away with he would do i mean i, I think it's actually does add value to it. people love to hate the guy i mean they do they love to hate the, they like making fun of him I guess. No, I mean, there is value. They'll never get rid of Plus, dude, he won a Masters. I mean, that's in itself is just huge. He probably I mean, cheated. Maybe these guys keep golf relevant for the wrong reasons, um, for some other stuff or something like that. It gives us gives talking heads like Bright or uh, what's his face. Does he uh, add value to me? No. Do I like him? No. But it's kind of fun to make fun of him. Look how much, how much you laughed at that. Oh, God. Think I'm, about that. How much you laughed about, hey, Mark, do you think he cheated? Like, you laughed <laughs> extremely hard because, because you know, like, how blatant. intentional that was. Oh, my God. That was the most blatant cheating I think I've ever seen. Probably ever. And, but it, to me, if... And I've seen people cheat in front of me on golf courses. That was the worst. But here's the problem. If you're, it's intentional cheating, you get disqualified. He should have gotten it's disqualified. It's disqualified. The, so... The, the two-stroke penalty was wrong. He should have been DQ'd. But it's an 18-person freaking event, and whatever. What you know what I mean? They don't fucking care. It didn't matter. Everybody was gonna get paid. I mean, it was a it was a waste bunker. So you can ground your club in there. Well, yeah, you can ground your. Well, you can touch the sand in any bunker now. Yeah, but n- no, you can lean on it. So if it's in a bunker that's designated a hazard, you can lean on it. But you cannot ground it before you hit it. I have to look that up. Well, I mean, it's actually. I thought that was part of the new rules. Is that you? Uh, you can actually um, ground your club in a bunker. I see. Like you can, you, the way that I understand it, you can like lean on it. You can use it like to pick something up out of the pebbles, but you can't. You can't like ground it. And this because if you ground it behind the ball, it's considered improving the lie with sand. But in or like a hazard with the grass. can so i think you're right yeah I, I, I'm, I'm almost positive about it i went to a rules thing for coaching um but uh you know hey look your boy patrick reed i know you uh let's try to get him on the podcast would you have him on the podcast uh patrick reed yeah no i don't want to talk to him <laughs> you wouldn't talk to him you would not talk to him. Come on. Who cares about that role? We'll look it up later. Uh, okay. 
Yeah. You can't, you're right. You cannot touch the sand. No, you can't. Um, you can, uh, you can do it. Uh, you're allowed to touch stuff to lose, uh, to move loose impediments. So that's, that's yeah. where, and you're right in the waste bunker. That's where you can't get away with it. So, yeah, um, he could, and so it was he could a waste bunker. It. Yeah, he could ground yeah. it there. But, but what he was doing is shoveling it backwards. That's awful. But if you see, but if you technically do that with, I see people, tour players do all the fucking time when they're in the rough. And they take it back, and if you brush back that grass, oh yeah, that's improving the light. And they do it all the fucking time. Yep. Well, that's the other example. And I mean, or you think about it, you you ground a club kind of behind. Yeah, there. you push down. That's improving the lie. So there, there's there's some weird stuff, right? Because you're trying to almost create more space, right, behind that ball, especially in a shitty lie. So I was actually. I'm serious. I was asking, is that technically cheating being in a waste bunker, not a technical hazard? And he's just like pulling it back like he would do like a normal, like with the rough. You see people do that all the time. So it's kind of, it, there's a little bit of a ground. I still think he was trying to dig it out. I did. Well, I, I think he, with, with, with the moving the grass, um, because he hasn't, isn't it? Look at that the, flow. Does that guy look like he's 19 years old? Yeah, that's definitely. your that's 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 your brother. That's fantastic. Um, I think with with uh, with the sand, it's obviously a movement, meaning he's obviously displacing the sand. When you do that in the grass, it's it's harder to tell that you're actually because you aren't really displacing anything. You're you're maybe moving it, and it could be coming back into place, or you're kind of maybe. I would say you could possibly be pressing it down with your club as well and trying to move it back. Um, but I've, I know, I've seen it before. I know what you're saying. Um, people do it, you know, improving your stance, improving your lie. It's a, there's a fine line there. I just think that that was pretty blatant. I do too. So what do you think about in general, um, you know, the team president's cup pretty much going to dominate here. Right. I mean, at least on paper, that is uh, what uh, what I, people are speculating. I think what I said before. I think the only time this this becomes any interesting or story is if United States gets beat. It's just it's almost like I mean you've got Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas. What's what's Matt, the Vegas I line? Shit out of Kucher. What's uh, the Vegas line on this? It's got, I mean there. I wonder what the betting line is. It, it's it's got to be like you put a hundred dollars up and you win two dollars or something if the if. Uh, United States wins. Uh, it's got to be like that bad. So you don't have to look it up for real, I'm but I'm gonna look it up. So I, you know, do I think it's gonna be interesting? Maybe. I mean, there was something I got a text from one of our friends that said the greens are like concrete. They're gonna be negative two seventy. Wow. Yeah. The chances of. The international team winning is nil, almost nil. What is that? That's negative uh, two seventy. What is that? That's is that like twenty cent? Place a hundred dollar bet to win twenty seven dollars. Yeah, it's so low. I mean, that's why would anybody do that? I don't know. They're thinking they'll make a twenty seven percent return on their. I, you got a pretty big fucking bet there. Yeah, I know. It's stupid. to make any money. It's stupid. All right. I it's not that interesting to me. It, it you know, I don't think there's the same rivalry possibly because uh we do see such um a different set of players each two years for 
for the uh, for that particular tournament. So, so we'll stop right there on the President's Cup, and we'll pick up later afterwards to find out if we really care if yeah. anybody won or not, or if there are any cool like storylines. Yeah. Um, I don't anticipate there being any cool storylines other than I think uh, Patrick Reed will get freaking heckled to shit. Um, and I, I also anticipate, and this is no offense to Tiger, um, because I, I'm really impressed by his comeback and everything, and that's great, whatever. But I, I think he completely chokes um, and ends up uh, sitting himself more. Like, he might play one early, but I think he ends up sitting himself on Saturday because he just has an t- absolute terrible Friday. Totally disagree. We need to make a bet. That guy, I mean, when I saw him swing a little bit this week, I was like, holy crap. If he, doesn't get, if he doesn't get hurt again, he's yeah. another contender for a major. So one of the interesting things about Tiger. He was hitting it as far as Justin Thomas. I believe that. And Justin Thomas is just, I mean, when he was bashing it, and he was just like, and it doesn't look like Tiger is trying to swing like his old way was so violent and nasty. He's just nice, big, smooth swing. He's murdering it. So one thing that came up that I thought was a really interesting tidbit, I, I again, I'm flipping through Instagram and I saw it. You know, since he's been back, he hasn't had a swing coach. He's his own swing coach. So he's taking video of himself, I'm sure, and tweaking stuff on his own. But he's doing it his own way with nobody else. I actually think that could and will help him stay healthy. I I agree um, to a point to where as long as he's just comfortable with it and he's already yeah. had success. But I actually heard, um, remember that talk where Gary Player... Lee Trevino and Jack Nicholas were like sitting like and had like a chat. Yeah. They and it was like two years ago. They were talking about Tiger Woods and that exact topic came up. Like, like why he, does, why he, does jump, he have a swing coach? And yeah. Lee Trevino was like, it's ridiculous. The guy does not need. He's like, do your own thing, bud. You're you're proven to be, you <laughs> yeah. know, besides the guy sitting next to me, you know, the best player ever. Yeah. And you've you know, it's you, Tiger. You don't, you know, Sean Foley isn't going to tell you how to swing back. I mean, that's just, I just, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I mean, that's almost it, as funny it, as Patrick it, Reed fucking cheating. I know, but but you, <laughs> but you think about it, the guys he goes to, the, I mean, they're nice guys, good coaches, I, but I'm, I'm sure, and I think any of us do this. It's like going to a, it's like going to a shrink or talking to, you know, any type of coach or, you know, reading a book or whatever it is. Like, we're always looking for some nugget that like maybe we didn't think about and it's I'm going to guess it's more about like bouncing I it was probably him like bouncing ideas off these guys and them going okay here's what I think you need to do to get that done and maybe he trusted them too much whereas like yeah but you take their in, you take their input you're going to listen to it and yeah. then it, and then you know these guys have you know didn't win the city championship you know they 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 don't know I mean they just don't know I think uh, they, they, I think they understand like the fundamentals of a golf swing. They're good coaches, like the Harmons. You know, they know what they're doing, and a lot of guys trust them. They were good golfers, I think, yeah. in their own right. But you know, they have like the basic fundamentals, and I think they're almost like guys that are the best coaches are like mechanics. They don't try to like fix and recreate some shit to, with you, like Sean Foley does. They just be like, okay, look, you're getting, you're getting, you're getting like the Harmons. Like they think like, oh, you're just getting a little loose here. 
Like, just go back to where they know how to, like, tune them up. Gankus. George Gankus. George Gankus. He's Matt Wolf's swing coach and oh, yeah, a bunch yeah. of these other guys' yeah. swing coach. Like, he could. Gankus is a guy who takes, like, a Matt Wolf and is like, yeah, do, do your freaking hip thing. Do your whatever you're doing. If it works for you, he just makes sure that he's in the right place at the right time. Yeah. So he watches the swing, and then he also he has really interesting ways of like holding people's knee or holding people or twisting people's waist to just make sure that they get the feeling of where they need to be. And I mean, I, I like it because he is he's he's not trying to reinvent the wheel. He's just trying to be like, hey, that was a good shot right there. Here's where you need to be to make sure that that happens again. And you, you, he helps people remember those feelings. Like, I want you to feel this because that puts you in the right position. Now, that's a golf coach. Yeah, and I also think I see some golf coaches that tell you, like, you know, if you're they, – they also know where the club needs to be. It, it, it can be unique to your swing, but if you're lifting the club up too fast – Sure. Like, stuff like that, like, you're going to come in too steep or, you know, where the club's at or your turn, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, as long as you are setting the club at the top, essentially how you need it to be, you can be Matt Wolf, Jim Furyk, and you can be Tiger Woods, and you can be a lot of these guys. I mean, I look at, like, uh, J.B. Holmes or a Finau and a couple of these other guys that have, have really shortened swings. They're not long. No. And they still beat the absolute piss out of the golf ball. And so you can get it done in a number of ways. Yeah, it, but if you watch, you know, like you said, Furick, you said Matt Wolf, very everybody thinks their swings are weird. It's just their backswing. Their their downswing is oh, they're perfect. dropping it right where it needs to it's be. Perfect. They're getting it on plane where they need it to be. And if that's what makes them feel comfortable, because of that, whatever move to get them to the top helps them get comfortable to set it where they need to go. As long as you get a coach that can help you, like make sure that you're. In set that position correct. and you're set correct, you should be able to deliver. Um, I mean, there's obviously a lot of other technical stuff in there with pivot and weight shift and t- turn, you know. But um, typically, but professional golfers don't have a big issue with like, no, you know, pivots and turns and weight shifts. They, they, I love a good, and I mean, we talked about it with Drew on the podcast. I love a good homemade swing. And, oh, yeah. And the, a homemade swing, <coughs> John Falkenberg, is one that is dangerous. To play on the golf course, yeah, um, especially if you can get like somebody who's actually helped me this year, um, this end of this year, if they can help you tweak a few little things, yeah. and not overhaul you, but tweak you. No, but know that like your swing's your swing. But I've gotten to the point where I know when I'm missing stuff, I know exactly. I'm 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 pretty close. I've got three different tweaks, three different changes I can make, and get get things back in line. And you can get around the golf course. Right now, Correct. like right now, I'm more confident on the tee that I've been in years. Years. It's good. I mean, if I know I can get off the tee, I'm gonna shoot mid seventies every time. Uh, dude, I'm I'm shooting the seventies all the time if I can get off the damn tee. For God's sake. And, yeah. So it's uh, my tee game. Because I know. Here's the thing. I also know that I don't practice basically at all, other than at the beginning of the season, and so I know my tee game is critical for me scoring because uh, the only the only short game thing I work on is basically putting. I rarely work on other short game related stuff and or not enough. I do like at certain times of the year, like early on in the season, right before big tournament, I might go practice some short game, but I don't work on it 
anywhere near as much as I work on my putting and my driving. Those are the two areas that I work on the most, which is good. Yeah, but you're fine. Good this stuff. Is where we need to go. Um, we, I don't. I don't. Are, I don't. I don't have any mm-hmm. equipment talk. We don't need equipment talk. I mean, there's yeah. there's there's going to be drivers that are going to be released. There's a couple that are out. Um, uh, Callaway showed like a a different version of the Rogue um, alternate, so it's not the what what are you hitting right now? The, Epic. The Epic. So it's a version of the Rogue. Um, like a new version called a Maverick or something, which whatever. Uh, um, Cobra came out with their new, they showed off their new driver, but we're, we're still going to see, obviously, more stuff coming. So, Oh, yeah. They won't, they won't a, start marketing this there's until a, there's January, There's a ton February. to come. I do think that those uh, Mizuno irons, those MP... I saw those. ...are freaking gorgeous. You thinking about going to hit them? Um, I mean, they... Just I, I they look know. good. <clears throat> they are pretty, pretty irons, and I'm I'm on the fence. I'm kind of do, but like I'm my my current set isn't performing poorly. I'm probably due for some wedges, but like more other than that. I and mean, we talked about that last time, so I'm not going to d- dwell on. I'm it not again. doing much. I'll do uh, some reviews like next year, but I'm just I'm staying. I think I'm pretty much staying with my stuff. Um, I might, I'll look at a driver. I do it every year anyway, but I just haven't switched because it, it hasn't made that much, much of a difference to me. So no other equipment update. We do have, uh, obviously the holiday season coming up here. We'll, we'll try to squeeze in a few more episodes while we got some time. You're headed to Florida though, right? Uh, yeah, I'll be down there, um, a couple weeks. Okay. So, so I think, uh, maybe we'll do a remote one. I think we tried that when you were in Florida last year and it didn't pan out, but We'll see what happens, and um, I'll have time. With that, uh, we're going to move into a a review. Uh, really excited about this. Well, what you know, what we have to let's decide because we're going to do one on this week. Yep. And then we're going to do, uh, of course, we do one every week. Yep. Are you feeling a tequila? Or are you feeling a bourbon? It's up to you, bud. I think we're going to hit the tequila. Okay. Um, and uh, and then we'll 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 get back into the bourbon game in a second, but we'll talk about that here in a second. Hold on. All right, uh, we are back here now that we are prepared for our test. Uh, thanks for hanging in there on the pause. We have uh, John went to Vine and Table. Vine and Table, shout out! Shout out to Vine and Table. They really took care of us uh, uh, today. So they are in uh, Carmel, Indiana, off of Carmel Drive. Um, been there a really long time. Recently uh, merged with uh, Big Red Liquors, which is a big, a bigger, I guess, liquor store here in town. But um, they, what's the best way to describe Vine and Table? Um, very nichey. I mean, they have a lot of niche, like uh, drinks. I mean, it's not like a Fryer and Tuck or like a big super liquor store. Yes, it's, okay. It's it's specialty. It's kind of like your corner specialty shop. Um, very focused on wine. Yes, like they, they have a huge wine selection on one side of the store. They, they have they an used, incredible Scotch section. They have a great Scotch section. Well, they've got a guy from um, Ireland that uh, works there, so like he goes over there and like picks specialty stuff out and whatever else. He's kind of crazy. Uh, <laughs> great dude, but he's kind of crazy. Um, they have like a little like it used to be actually more of like a market deli kind of thing, but I think they've scaled it down to just some like cheeses and crackers and some stuff like that. Cootery boards? Yeah. Um, but they used to have like almost like a deli in there, um, but they've scaled that back. And what instead, when they kind of took out some of the market side, 
and the craft beer scene came on, they've like, I mean, there's like a huge craft beer area where you can get into craft beer or whatever kind of beer. They've got some great spirit selection and then they've got great wine selection, very unique type stuff. So they're, they're definitely your shop where the, you know when you go in there, it's not just Joe Schmo checking you out. Everybody in there is very knowledgeable. And enthusiastic. Enthusiastic, but also usually specialized in something. So there's like, there's the scotch guy. I was amazed at that scotch section. Like, I wanted to buy one, but we're not real big scotch guys. No, but... And it was, like, they had some stuff in there that was like six, seven hundred bucks. I believe that. Like, like really old age stuff. And then, like, then like the Japanese stuff. And, I mean... We well, we might have to try it. Hey, winter! It's the winter time. We need to dabble. We have to, we have to try it. But we have to we, dabble. We dabbled. But what? we've hey, we've even talked about wine too. I mean, there there's obviously this just like whole wine world that um, is just something else that I we know that anybody who listens and is into any part of our podcast here at the end where we talk about spirits um, and beer and wine, uh, we probably need to dabble into the wine space a little bit more. But um, so what we've got here is the Fortaleza or Fortaleza. I don't know. Forta- Fortaleza. Fortaleza. It's a Reposado, and this is the winter blend. So you said this is one of how many bottles? Uh, 50, like 5,200. So like 5,200 bottles. This is one of 5,200 bottles. Um, the Fortaleza, Fortaleza, Leza, Fortaleza. Uh, is they've got a Blanco, a Reposado, and um, an Añejo that uh, are kind of their common. But this was an interesting uh, winter blend. Um, it is, what does it say? It's aged for six months. How? It is um, aged six months in American whiskey barrels and then uh, new French oak barrels for 11 months after that. So they actually poured into the two different barrels. Um, this is borderline añejo. So it's borderline. It's almost there. You know, and it's it's unique to. I think they so they only come out. They do. I, must, I don't. I wonder if they do a different type of blend each year. But so it's it's definitely a stronger one. Mm-hmm. It's at forty six ABV. You know, a lot of stuff we drinks at uh, on tequila is like at forty. Mm-hmm. So it's got some strength. A little bit more alcohol. Um, you know, it so the, a little background that he gave me on Fortaleza is that this is from the family that created tequila, like the 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 actual tequila. So they're like the one spirits. of the originators of the spirit. Yes. He also has said um, that Indiana. This is new to Indiana. They were not getting this brand of tequila until recently. Okay. And this is actually pretty new. Like he said, uh, this there's probably 30, 30 bottles or so in Indiana. But you go to Texas, there's probably no trees drinking. But well, and we found that with the Class Azul, like three years ago, you didn't find that in Indiana. You could find it in Illinois. You could find it in some other states. You could find it down south, obviously. Whatever Texas, I'm sure you could probably find it. California, those kind of things. But only two years ago, did you start finding it here? Yeah. So, so he was, you know, the guy is. He, he said he bought the first bottle. Like, okay. He bought the first bottle. And it's his it's his favorite tequila. So let's uh let's give it a whirl. Let's give it a whirl. So we got a nice 
I, I love the nose on this because the oak and the so like both oaks, both barrels come through. Um, and and partially, uh, it, it they come through. I think because there's uh, that one that just has there's there's part of it that has just like that that oak smell, and then I feel like the uh, that bourbon barrel has kind of that smoky kind of feel to it. Um, and then there's there's a it's it it's it fits for like a winter blend like absolutely. That's why the bourbon barrel works for this. It's it's great because usually tequilas, you know, a lot of tequila we drink is is very smooth, very vanilla, fruity. Yes. This is it has an initial fruit kind of feel and then it goes almost down like a bourbon. Yeah. At the end. It's, we drank we we drank it neat first. We're we're kind of sipping it on the rocks now. Um then when we drank it neat first, it has a tremendous flavor up front. It just it like it just hits you. Um you get plenty of the oak, you get plenty of that agave in there. Uh, but it when it when it went down, it was like burning, like a yeah, like a because obviously that alcohol value, you definitely had felt the alcohol in there. It's really good. This is excellent tequila. Um, but this uh, this this really has a great agave flavor to it. It's um, you can taste the oak to it, and I think where you do like you just said, I think the winter blend comes in because you do get this hint, and it's just a hint of the bourbon in there it's and awesome. i think i think as we get into the winter months and we did we've been drinking the casamigos all summer as like our go-to tequila i've been just i've been sipping that on the rocks like all summer long and um i've started to try to get back into like looking at bourbons and drinking things like that um stuff that's darker looking at some beers beer just kind of gets me bloated so i'm trying to figure you know i've been drinking a lot of woodford um kind of <sighs> as a go-to and some stuff like that so this is, uh, to me, though, if you are a uh, tequila person and you're looking for, like, a transition or something that at least it feels more wintry, they've nailed it. They've absolutely nailed it with this winter blend. I had a taste of their Blanco, and it was excellent. It was very, like, smooth. Like it Did remind- it have more of the man- vanilla-type yes. flavors and yep. hints to it? Okay. It was very, it was good it, for... I, we I probably we should probably go back and get a bottle or two, and just try the blanco and the and maybe even the anejo. Yeah, and just compare it. But I think they hit the mark though, right? You know, because they understand like, okay, look, we like to drink the the bourbons in the winters. Yeah, and it's, it's seasonal. And this is why this appeals to us in the winter. I I think so. I think this can be a good sipping tequila, winter sipping tequila. Actually, I think I could drink it any time because I think there's some cool flavors in here that that offer that wood, smoky oak, uh, bourbon. You know, it gives you some of that. Um, it's it's definitely not a uh, something you're you're pouring into uh, into a margarita. It's strong. It's it's stronger. It oh yeah, it's got some kick. It's 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 excellent. But you know, it's a hundred percent gift. There's not even a you know, question about that. I don't know if it, it depends on what state you could buy this in. You could probably either buy it for 85 bucks or 50 bucks or 60 bucks. Yeah. Depends on what state, like Texas, it's just cheaper. Illinois, you're probably spending 75. So this goes back to a conversation you and I were having a little bit earlier in that, you know, as we've gotten into some of these higher end liquors, some of these more unique bourbons, um, maybe more rare type of bottles, and we, we, we have our, our rating scale of gifting. 
I really think about, um, of course, I, I would love to gift a $100 bottle to someone. But I, I think moving forward, what I'd like to know, next week we're going to get into this. We've got this blade and bow that we're going to talk about next week that is like a $55 bottle. And I look at like a birthday gift or something like that that I'm gifting somebody. Or even if I'm going to like a, um, maybe it's a really cool party where you're uh, stock the bar party. You know, something like that. You're probably going to look at about a $50 price range is the way I kind of look at that. And I, I think moving forward for us to focus on every now and then, I think it's great for us to try a, a high-end or unique bottle. But when it comes to the gifting scale, I think it'll be, it'll be really fun to look at like, okay, well, can we find some cool $50 bottles or maybe even less that are good gifts? This, absolutely agree with you, would totally gift this to somebody who appreciates tequila and somebody who collects tequila. Like we collect bourbon and we collect tequila. Very much like the old 55 that we did last week, I would gift that to a collector and I would gift this to a collector. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's too expensive to like, yeah, to give to like just a random gift, but like somebody that knows what they're doing with tequila, yeah, or knows it's a, it's a cool, it's a cool. Like I would give this to Michael Hart for Christmas. Yeah, I I think right because you know he's gonna appreciate it and you know he's gonna. Oh you know, yeah, yeah, he'd like it. And he's um, not gonna ruin it like pouring it over a margarita. You know, I, you know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a goal in the future. Like we have, you know, we can. Mix in a higher end bottle every now and then. It could be even conjunction in the same episode, but I think most episodes we're shooting for the fifty dollar and below. Yeah, that's what we're looking for. Like good bourbons, good good. It can be gin, it can be tequila, it can I, be anything. But we, we're shooting for if you good. Can, affordable. If you can get Dude, Blanton's for fifty five bucks, there's no reason you should probably play pay any more than Dude, that. I just don't think any booze, unless it's like you know a nineteen. You know, seventy-five McAllen or something. It, it just doesn't. It shouldn't be that much. Yeah, it's gotten a little carried it away. It is. I am interested though when we're going to have to find a bottle and acquire it. It's one of the Michael, the Michael Jordan tequila at some point. But what is that's that? Like, it's like two hundred. Yeah, it's like two hundred some bucks. But we'll try it. We'll yeah. do it. All right. I've heard it's fantastic. And then the Rock's coming out with his too. So we just got to do it just to say we did it. But uh, hey, shout out to Vine and Table. Thank you for uh, introducing us to some new spirits. Um, we are uh, we're looking to. Uh, continue on uh, building a relationship with those guys. And with that, Mr. John, thanks so much. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Uh, as always, at least if you can get out and play, go out there, hit more greens, you'll score better. Thanks. Maybe.